St. Warburg's Derby. Can I ask those of you who are employed by St. Warburg's to stand up, please? If you are, and I don't want everybody to go, oh, you know, I kind of work for church, therefore I'm going to stand up. If you're actually kind of employed, that's your main occupation, and you kind of are, you're in the leadership team, stand up. Wow. Have a quick look around. Do you see something? The overwhelming majority of us do not work for a church. I bet in this room this evening we've got some stay-at-home parents, we may have some bankers, some teachers, probably quite a few engineers being Derby. We've got artists, people that work in retail, people in hospitality, people that run their own businesses, people who are students, and much, much more. For the majority of us, the community of church is not where we spend the majority of our time, nor the majority of our energy or our skills. But sometimes those of us like me who stand at the front talk about it like it is. And I know from listening to lots of you that your weeks are filled with deadlines and budgets and office politics and frustrations and fears about the future. Or maybe you're a person who just wants a job but you haven't got a job. Or maybe you're a person for whom actually work paid employment is behind you. And if that's you, I hope that there will still be something for you in this evening. You see, last week Phil spoke to us from the book of Ecclesiastes. It was a book written probably by Solomon. Uh, Phil said it was almost like a midlife crisis rant. And he says, what do people gain from all their labour at which they toil under the sun? What do people get for all their toil and anxious striving? From which they labour under the sun. All their days at work are pain and grief. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A few years ago, Lunch Money Lewis reminded us that we've got bills, we've got to pay, and we've got to work, work, work every day. I'm not going to sing the rest of it at all. Sorry. Maybe later. Um, But actually, does God have anything else to say about work? Apart from that it's hard and that it's tiring... Is there more to the kind of the scriptural, the biblical story than just that bit from Ecclesiastes? Before I trained to be a vicar, I worked for two and a half years at Cineworld Cinemas. I worked shift work sometimes till early into the morning. Uh, and then for nine years, I worked in London. I commuted uh, in, to, in and out of London. I lived kind of on the edge. And I spent nine years probably doing the most boring job you can possibly imagine, which was pensions administration. It was lots of uh, spreadsheets and sending emails and phone calls and also calculations and quite dull, really. Um, but when I started that job, I was passionate about Jesus. I, I still am, which is a good thing in this job. Um, but I was passionate about church stuff. And I saw my job as a place to pay my bills and to kind of, so I could get on and do church stuff alongside and maybe learn a little bit about the world because I was quite young and I wanted to kind of experience that. But actually as I went through my work life, I began to develop a theology of work, a kind of an understanding of work in the perspective of God's big story. And this evening, I'm only going to scratch the surface. I could go on about this for for weeks. We could do a series on it. But we're only going to scratch the surface this uh, this evening. But my hope is that you will discover more of how what you do on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday or whenever it is that you work, if you work shifts as well, somehow, how does that fit into God's big story? 
Matt reminded us that we have a vision at Werbs to build an authentic community which is Christ-centred that plays its part in transforming the city and beyond. But how could that transformation of this city occur? I want to show you a video which I want to acknowledge straightaway is American and it's not, the city is not Derby. But actually, it reveals an incredible vision for a transformation of a city. So we're going to watch that together. This is a story about New York, the gospel, and you. First, New York. For 25 years, New York has been our home. It's also been our purpose. From the very first day, Redeemer's vision wasn't to build a church for ourselves. It was to help build a great city. The gospel does that. It advances the common good. It increases philanthropy, mercy and justice. It makes workplaces more humane, art more hopeful, race relations healthier. The gospel changes lives and culture. The gospel changes everything. And that's where you come into the story because you are a culture maker. How you communicate, what you create, how you do your work, that creates culture. What does this all add up to? It adds up to one big possibility. If a critical mass of New Yorkers lived their lives, made culture, in ways that express the gospel, with mercy, justice, friendship, and hope, it could change the fabric of the city. It might even change the world. So here's where we are in the story. In 1989, New York was the least religious city in America. Less than 1% of Center City New Yorkers attended a gospel teaching church. Today, that number is 5%. In the most secular Center City in America, a gospel movement has been on the rise. We could be content with that. We could think, job well done. Or we could say, this story isn't over. A new chapter at Redeemer begins now. We are launching a 10-year vision to see the body of Christ in New York rise from 5% to 15%. That means tripling by 2026. And here's the thing. We think that just might represent a tipping point. A tipping point of gospel saturation that does more than just change lives. It helps the whole city flourish for everyone in it. This can't be done by building a bigger Redeemer. We need new churches, new leaders, and new buildings rising in every neighborhood across the city. And we need you. We need you to rise and say, I'm in. You are the culture maker. You are the neighbor, the leader, the co-worker, the artist. You are the gospel carrier. This is a story about New York, the gospel, and you. And the defining moment is now. So I guess we should pack up shop and we'll move to New York then, really. Might be quite attractive for some of us. Ken Costa uh, is on the board at Holy Trinity Brompton, the kind of the church that we were planted out of in London. He, he used to be an investment banker. And he says that if we are to see our society transformed and our nation turn to God, it will only come when people at work rise to this vision. So that's the vision, a city flourishing, a city transformed. 
But what about the kind of the, the Bible? What is it, how does that fit into kind of God's big story? Well, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, can I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 1? It's not too difficult to find. It's the first book of the Bible. Uh, it's the first chapter of the Bible. If you do not have a Bible with you here this evening or you don't own a Bible, then please come and tell us because we believe this is the most important book in the world and that reading it will change your life. So if you don't have one, do come and let us know. And it will appear on the screens behind me. So Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. This passage comes right at the beginning of the Bible. It comes from one of the two stories of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And I'm going to leave the scientific questions to one side this evening, not because they're not important, because we do need to ask them, but because we're focusing on work in particular tonight. We're going to look at four things this evening. We're going to think about why do we work. We're going to think about who do we work for. We're going to think about why is work so hard and what do we do then for work? So, why do we work? Well, the biblical creation story begins with God doing a a week's work. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the beginning of the Bible starts with work. And we are made in God's image. So therefore, we are called to do many of the things that he does. Maybe not in the same way, to the same extent, but there are things that we are called to do. And God is a creator. And so we too are called to be creatives. Now, for some of us, I know we've got some artists amongst us, so that sounds really exciting. But for others of you, like me, you think, oh my goodness, I hold a paintbrush and everything goes wrong. So it may not be in art, it may be actually bringing order out of chaos in a spreadsheet. It may be kicking a football on a football pitch, it may be playing um, tennis, it might be how you treat people in different ways, being creative about that. It might be making people feel comfortable in a, a kind of a social situation, being creative in that way. There are all kinds of ways that we can be creative. God calls humanity to rule over the earth and to subdue it. And then later on, he tells Adam to work the garden and take care of it. Now, if you know anything about the biblical story, you'll know that Genesis 1 and 2 is creation, 
And then everything goes wrong in Genesis 3. And there's the story about Adam and Eve and a serpent and some fruit. But this happens before then. You see, work is in the scriptures before everything goes wrong. Work is not a result of the fall. Work is a good gift of God to us. It's interesting to think about that. I don't know if you picture yourself on a Wednesday morning thinking of work being a good gift to us. That sometimes be hard to, to kind of recognize. Some theologians call this bit of the Bible the cultural mandate. You see, we're called to go and create culture. Tim Keller spoke about that on there. He said, actually, we're culture makers. That's not a phrase we'd use very often. But as we go about it, we go and we create culture. Can you imagine if everybody stopped working? Food would vanish. Petrol would stop flowing. Electricity would stop. Communication would go dead. Perhaps even the coffee in Bear would stop flowing. I don't know. As one author put it, the difference between a wilderness and culture is work. Another author explains actually how work is one of the only things that we can do in significant amounts without it harming us. When I was at my previous church, we had a community meal where we would get together on a Friday and 80 to 100 people would come for a cooked dinner every week and uh, we would have a food bank and people would have showers and they'd wash their clothes and they would receive prayer and have conversation and people would help with their benefits forms. It was quite an interesting event um, and amazing. But you know what? For some of these people, their lives were incredibly complex, incredibly broken. But for many of them, one of the big things that was missing from their life was purposeful activity. It was actually detrimental to their well-being. And so when people actually managed to get back into work and then they'd come back months later, they'd say, oh, do you know, it's so good. I'm, thank you so much for helping me. I'm back in work. And it helped them financially, of course it did. But it actually helped them mentally and emotionally as well because they were putting their hands to good use. So why do we work? We work to be like God. God calls us to do it, and also it is good for us. Next question, who do we work for? In the first 25 verses of Genesis, we find God speaking the universe into being. And as he creates humanity, he says that we're called to subdue it and rule over it. Therefore, the work we do is in response to God's command to us. Later in the Bible, Paul, otherwise known as Saint Paul, um, he clearly explains that for Christians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for people. Whatever you do. So picture yourself on Tuesday morning, whatever it may be that you're doing. Whatever you do, do it as if working for God and not for people. Another interesting insight from the Bible is there's a word called avoda or avada. I don't know how to say it personally, but um, it can be translated two ways. It can be translated worship, and it can also be translated work. And one person has said, make your workstation your worship station. Make your workstation your worship station. That can be quite hard if we don't enjoy what we're doing. But if we remember who we're doing it for, that can begin to be possible. There was a preacher called Charles Spurgeon who lived quite a long time ago and he was once talking to a cleaner in a house and she'd recently become a Christian. Spurgeon asked her what difference Jesus had made to her life. 
And rather timidly, she replied, well, sir, I now sweep under the doormats. It sounds little, but actually she knew that it wasn't about what her boss thought she was doing. It was about what Jesus saw she was doing. And then she went about it with greater integrity, greater honesty, and greater hard work than she would have done otherwise. She knew in her job that she was ultimately now serving Jesus and worshipping him through cleaning under the doormats. Who do we work for? We work for God, not just our human boss, our human colleagues, our human teachers, our human customers, our human students. Why is work hard then? You see, from what I've said, then this should all be wonderful and amazing. It's a good gift from God. It helps us mentally and emotionally and relationally. But you know what? Work can be incredibly hard. And I don't need to tell you that because you know that. Why is it so hard then if it's, if it's going to be a good thing? Well, as I kind of alluded to already, Genesis 3 with that story about the serpent and the fruit and Adam and Eve. They fall away from God. Everything begins to unravel. Relationship with God unravels and the rest of creation begins to unravel as well. And part of that means that God's response to that is that he curses the ground. And he says that work will now be painful and hard. And that's really, really difficult for us. But actually, this side of eternity, work will always have difficult things in it. Another reason work can be difficult is you may not have noticed, but actually, I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and your colleagues at work are not perfect. And so therefore you've got a whole bunch of imperfect people trying to get things done. And things have got deadlines and there's stresses and there's budgets and there's monies. And actually that makes it hard. You're working with, you're an imperfect person, they're an imperfect person. Working together, that makes work difficult. But it's not all bad news, this, the fact that work can be hard. 500 years ago there was a man who set the course of Europe. He changed it forever, accidentally. A guy called Martin Luther. And he believed that work did a number of things. One of those things, he said that it helps us learn obedience and self-denial. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could learn obedience and self-denial through nice, pleasurable things, not difficult situations? But so often, God hones our character. He changes us. He sanctifies us through the difficult things we go through. And that can even be the work that we do. Every workplace will have different challenges and I don't know what yours are or yours have been or what you're facing this week. I know for me when I used to do pensions it could be anything from the fact that southeastern trains it was snowing, it was the wrong sort of snow, it was the wrong sort of leaves, that it was too hot so the tracks didn't work properly and have to wait and be two hours late home. Sometimes it would be there'd be a deadline and you'd have to stay really late. Other times there'd be a redundancy exercise and you'd be worrying, am I going to get made redundant? Other times somebody in your workplace would be really winding you up. Or maybe you were really winding them up. I'm sure I never did that. But it's possible. But don't be surprised when work is mundane and difficult. This side of eternity, it always will be. But actually God can use that for our good and for his glory. What then do we do for work. For some of us here this evening, we may be sitting thinking, do you know what? I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing for work. I'm kind of trying to work out, I've just graduated. This is exciting. I don't want to think about that. Or maybe we're in a place wondering, I'm not sure I'm in the right place. This isn't fulfilling me. I'm not sure I'm going to be here. Is God calling me somewhere else? For some of us, we're just longing for a job. 
So where do we go? Well, the main place that God guides us, as with everything, is through the Scriptures, is through the Bible, through his story. And do you know what? The Bible is full of workers. It starts with God, the worker, but actually it's full of farmers and shepherds and craftspeople and business people and tent makers and those in government and midwives and musicians. And even a man that lived around 2,000 years ago, that before he became a carpenter or a builder, So before he became a miracle worker and a traveling teacher, he was a carpenter or maybe a builder. And that was Jesus himself. Now, I don't know if you realize how revolutionary that was. But in the Greek world, the gods didn't get their hands dirty. The gods didn't get involved in that. They had kind of slaves and human beings that get on with that stuff for them. In fact, the highest ideal for that culture was to be a philosopher, was to think about things, and then everybody else got on and did the menial jobs. But for Christians and for Jews, for Jews, the God of the Old Testament starts by doing a week's work. He gets his hand dirty, hands dirty in the Garden of Eden. He was a gardener at that point. And for Christians, God becomes human in the person of Jesus. He puts his hands to the lathe. He works as a carpenter or maybe a builder. He does hard physical labor. There is no job too menial in the kingdom of God. There's not hierarchy of jobs. It's not like we've got missionaries at the top and then maybe pastors and priests and then maybe kind of caring professions like nurses or doctors or teachers and then at the bottom we've got pensions administrators. That's not how it works. Every job, as we've seen, can be done as working for God and not for human beings. Now, sometimes we will have to be wise in our workplaces. There are some times that actually there may be things that people will ask us to do, which in all good conscience we know that God wouldn't go along with. So we're going to need to be wise and work out what battles we need to fight. And I do think that will become increasingly hard in our culture. I've got to be honest, I do think it will. But we need to pray for the strength of God and for his wisdom. Go to his word and pray. But I would also want to say as an exception, there are perhaps a few jobs which are outside God's call for our life. If you become a Christian in prison, and many people, praise God, do, when you come out, there is, God will want you to change your line of work. Maybe you're a mechanic who works for a place where actually they force you to do dodgy MOTs. Maybe you're an auditor who is forced to sign off books where actually you know things are not right. It may be that you will, have to, you will have to either fight that company and say, I cannot do this. Or you may have to leave that place or leave that line of work and go and do something else. So there are some things that are outside the will of God. But we need Christians in every area of work, every sphere of society, being a culture maker, transforming the city that it might flourish. The church I grew up in, there was a guy that became a Christian probably about 10 years ago now. And he fits central heating systems. That's what he does for a job. And he became a Christian. Now, he didn't at that point go, oh my goodness, I need to lay down my central heating fitting and then go and become a pastor or a priest or a missionary. He just carried on fixing boilers. He does it well. He does it with integrity. He charges a right price for it. He cares for his customers. And you know, every now and then, he even gets to talk about Jesus he doesn't, he's wise about how he does it, and he doesn't push it on people, but he's a very chatty guy. He's very excited about what Jesus is doing in his life. And so every now and then, people say, what are you up to at the weekend? Oh, I was at church. You go to church? 
yeah, I go to church, you know, and they get talking, and um, just amazing. But he carries on doing what God has called him to. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Every, each one should remain in the situation which they were in when God called them. So if God's not calling you specifically onto something else, he's calling you to stay and be an ambassador for him in that place. How then should we work? Well, we read in Genesis that God's work was life-giving. His creation is unique. We can't copy that. We can't make things out of nothing. God's creation to ours is different. We make things from stuff he's created. He made stuff out of nothing. But actually, God's creation is life-giving. And so does the work we do, does the way we work, does it bring life, does it cause people to flourish? Imagine yourself this week, Thursday afternoon, I don't know where you'll be. Is it going to be bringing life where you are? Do we treat our colleagues, our co-workers, our bosses, our customers, our students? Are we life-giving in the way we treat them? God's creation also brings beauty out of chaos. The Psalms even say that we ourselves are beautifully and wonderfully made. So we need to ask, are we producing good quality work? And then there's the question around our character in the workplace. That the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. Are those things that we are seeking to live out in our workplace? Is there a family likeness between us and Jesus? And then how else do we work? Well, you might have noticed in the Genesis account, God rests. Now, God doesn't need to rest. God doesn't get tired. He thinks, oh my goodness, that was exhausting. I just need to go down for a lay down. But God looks on what he's made and he sees that it was good. And actually then he sets it as a precedent for us. Six days shall you labor and one day shall you rest. And you're not in our culture which gets so much of its identity and its purpose out of what we do. Very often when you meet somebody, don't you say, what do you do? That's one of the first questions we often ask people. Actually, resting stops us from making identity in what we do. It reminds us that we're not God. Only one person, if they stop working, the world will fall apart. Because he holds it in his hands. Everybody else can take a day off and it will be okay. So it's really important rest. It helps us to refocus back on him. It stops it becoming something we worship. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard when you think of all these things. I remember one day when I was in pensions and... I was, it was probably quite a stressful time. I can't remember exactly, but I remember my boss sat just to kind of cross the way. There were banks of desks. And something got quite heated, and we ended up having a full-blown row across the office. And do you know what? I got up and I stormed out in front of my team and stormed out into the stairwell. I was meant to be the Christian. They knew I was a Christian. They knew I was involved in stuff. My goodness, that was embarrassing. And do you know what my boss did? He got up, and a few minutes later he came out, and he came and sat with me in the stairwell. He said, Andy, what's the matter? What's wrong? He taught me about leadership, and I was meant to be the one who was following Jesus. But you know what? In the workplace, it's not about always getting it right, just as the Christian life is not always about getting it right. You see, because we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we dare believe, but we're more loved and accepted in Jesus than we dare hope. Being a Christian at work, being a Christian in general, doesn't mean not screwing up at all. But it means seeking God's forgiveness and trying to put it right afterwards. So how do we work? We bring life. We make sure we rest. We do it with godly character. Now, 
Before I finish, you may think I've gone on for quite a long time. But before I finish, I, I could talk about this for ages. I encourage you to, to go away, to think, to pray, to work out how your work fits in to God's big story. Because within this room, there's going to be all sorts of different workplaces represented. Now, because it's me and I enjoy doing this, I know it's not for everybody, I'd love to recommend a few books. Um, this one is an absolute classic. If you don't read, then audiobooks are a great way to go as well. This one is absolute classic. It's called Thank God It's Monday. It's been published many, many times. It's 30-something years old, but it keeps getting republished. about an advertising guy talking about that. Um, I was given some copies of these, actually, which are just stories by the same guy, just little booklets talking about different examples of people at work. If you want some of those, I've got about nine of them. So if you're quick at the end, then do come and grab one. Another book, Ken Costa wrote, God at Work worth a read and another one it's just slightly deeper if you're trying to grapple with kind of the big picture of it all every good endeavor is well worth a read as well so as we come to a close it could be quite depressing thinking oh my goodness all this stuff to do work well rest well live like jesus help people to flourish but you know there was only one person who worked consistently hard rested regularly was honest and worked with integrity who never let work become an idol, but also never became lazy. And he's the one whose greatest work he accomplished on the cross. The one that gives us access to God now and for eternity. His work will last forever. But interestingly, so can ours. And therefore, the full wisdom of God is more than just that bit from Ecclesiastes. And I want to leave you with a quote from one of the books that I mentioned. If this is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun. And no one will be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Nothing we do will make any difference. Unless there is a God. If the God of the Bible exists... And there is a true reality beneath and behind this one. And this life is not the only life. Then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. If this life is not the only life, if the God of the Bible exists, then every good endeavor, even sweeping under the doormats, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever forever.